Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. It is Monday, April 10th, 2023. Jesus has risen, and we have a new and powerful show for you tonight here on The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact us, you can email rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. You can also find us, of course, on our website at www.thesecretteachings.info where you can find my books and our free show archive. If you're a subscriber, you can resubscribe there or go to aftermath.media if you are a new subscriber and you'd like to get access to our show and Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis. Also, of course, on Before the Secret Teachings, I assume most of you are coming over from Ground Zero tonight and I welcome you to the show If you're in the free archive, welcome to The Secret Teachings as well, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. I'm glad to have you. I hope that everybody who celebrates Easter, about 81% of Americans, more people actually celebrate Easter than believe in God, as we talked about on Friday's show, Hair of the Moon. A little less than 81% of people in the U.S. believe in God, and 81% plus celebrate Easter. So more people celebrate the holiday than actually believe in God. And certainly more so than uh, more people believe in the holiday or celebrate the holiday than believe in uh, the whole story of Jesus, the narrative of the Passion Week and a lot of weird things last week, right? We had the whole saga of Donald Trump going through a very passion-like drama, and that is, of course, ongoing, and it will be ongoing for months and months and probably years if the case doesn't get thrown out. Just really weird, though, how the entirety of that Trump legal saga, if we can call it that, so mimicked and mirrored uh, the week of the passion for Jesus Christ. And it's it's even more interesting that a lot of left-leaning publications made that comparison, although they made that comparison to make fun of people on the right. Uh, Apparently, over the weekend, I did not watch Saturday Night Live, but... Clyde messaged me and said that they actually compared Trump to Jesus on SNL, too, which is what we discussed last week, uh, the passion of the president show. So it's a weird week. And uh, now that Jesus has risen, um, one thing that I think is probably the most iconic, even if you're not a Christian, one of the most iconic elements of the passion week, something that everybody just kind of knows that they joke about it. uh, They, you know, we we use We use statements uh, referring to this passage in the Bible all the time uh, that Jesus really only got angry one time. And Jesus really got angry at one particular type of behavior. Uh, he, He was hanging out with prostitutes and hanging out with lepers and raising people from the dead. And Jesus was having a big dinner parties and all that. But Jesus got really angry when he comes to the temple on Monday, this would have been uh, last Monday, uh, but when he comes to the temple on Monday during Passion Week and he finds that the temple is full of corrupt court officials who are exchanging money and charging interest and Jesus gets really angry and he says, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And if you know American history, you'll know that 
Andrew Jackson, who also was not a great guy, Andrew Jackson, former president, he did know a little bit about money. He did understand how the financial system worked, and he did not like banks that much. And in one of his famous quotations, which is partially taken out of context, I think, but nevertheless, it's still an important statement. He tells the bankers that they are a den of vipers and thieves. So he sort of channels the essence of Jesus Christ there. You are a den of vipers and thieves. I have determined to rot you out, and by the eternal, I will rot you out. And he's talking about the Bank of the United States. And he's talking about the corruption in these banks. And we've discussed this on previous shows before, so we're not going to go into the history of uh, banking in the United States. But suffice to say that there is a long and interesting history about banking in the United States, just the United States, but around the world as well. And in a lot of cultures and a lot of uh, religions, including Christianity, uh, it's a pretty general rule of thumb that the practice of usury, one of the things we could assume uh, in the Jesus story, Jesus is upset about, and usury is the action of lending money at unreasonably high rates of interest. It's a general rule of thumb that it is immoral and ethical and, well, pretty much just downright illegal particularly in Islam, but also, generally speaking, in Christianity. In Judaism, however, usury is actually accepted and allowed as long as it's charged to non-Jews. If you're Jewish, um, then it's considered illegal and immoral and unethical. And if you'd like to read that verse in the Bible, it's Deuteronomy 23, 19-20. One of the most famous biblical accounts against usury came during the Passion Week, as I said, Monday. Jesus reaches the temple. He finds the courts full of corrupt money changers, and he says what I quoted you a moment ago, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Luke 19, 46. If you go through the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you'll find that there isn't really a blanket ban on interest-taking, but generally speaking, there's this condemnation that you shouldn't take interest, especially from the poor. And of course, you shouldn't take any interest from Jewish communities. In Islam, there is consideration for uh, a more strict definition of usury, which again, it's an unreasonable high interest rate, something you you shouldn't charge unreasonably high rates of interest. But in Islam, it's it's a little stricter. It's called riba. It means to increase. And it's prohibited under Sharia law to ensure, in the Muslim world, equity of exchange. So religious practice in Islam usually forbids riba, even if it's not not, not just unreasonably high rates, even if it's at low rates. So again, generally speaking, Islam forbids usury. Christianity frowns upon it. Uh, For Jews, it's okay to charge others' interest. It's not okay to charge other Jews' interest. And it's not okay, generally speaking in the Bible, to charge poor people interest. So that's just a little bit of the religious side of usury. And this is, of course, one of the most famous scenes in the Bible where Jesus turns over the tables, is very angry, and uh, you see some 
paintings and depictions of Jesus. He goes to the temple with like a whip and starts whipping these these bankers and money money changers, which is also why it's kind of interesting why uh, how these corrupt courts in in New York, the corrupt district attorney, et cetera, you have corrupt courts accusing the former president of well doing something illegal and exchanging money and uh, bookkeeping fraud and concealing other crimes. Uh, they're actually corrupt courts, ironically, accusing the former president. Um, you know, the presidential office is a symbol of government. So basically accusing, uh, you know, the, the, the essence of, of governance, accusing the president, accusing a former leader uh, of doing what they themselves are guilty of. That would be like the, the uh, members of the court there in the temple accusing Jesus of usury when they're the ones that are guilty of it. So it, that's just an interesting little history of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism and their views on usury. Uh, other religions sort of, I'd say more philosophy, sort of frown upon any kind of material wealth whatsoever, You know, more like Buddhism. Uh, if you go far enough east, you find Shintoism, which doesn't frown upon material wealth so long as you use it to uh, benefit what they call the kami or what most, most people just call God or you know spirits or whatever. So that history is, um, in terms of religion, that history is, I think, important to understand uh, the, the overall context and content of tonight's show. It's also important to understand the context to American history and where we get uh, modern banks from anyway. Uh, and the fact that the real cause of the American Revolution was on top of a lot of other things, on top of taxes and repugnancy laws and uh, the attempted confiscation of firearms and other weapons, uh, violent coastal assaults on colonial cities. One of the major driving forces, one of the major factors in the American Revolution was the outlawing of interest-free money. Benjamin Franklin said that uh, in the early 1760s. He said, quote, the outlawing of debt-free money, which caused depression and unemployment, was the main cause of the revolution. And he goes on to say, because this is a, um, I'd say this is probably the, the defining factor in the revolution. Taxes are a part of it. But he says, the refusal of King George III to allow the colonies to operate an honest money system, which freed the ordinary man from the clutches of the money manipulators, was probably the prime cause of, of the revolution. You can't say one thing or another caused one thing or another. Historically, a lot of things lead up and build up to big events. Uh, and especially things we know about in history that we label, we give a label and then we have a date. It happened between this time and this time. That's not how wars go. Uh, that's not how conflicts go. That's not how historical events go. But that's how we quantify them. But nevertheless, Benjamin Franklin, one of the, one of the primary founders said that it was the outlawing of debt-free money uh, which caused depression and unemployment. Uh, that was the main cause of the revolution. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, it really fired people up. It made people angry. Uh, that, that was colonial script that the colonies had issued that was outlawed, which was a debt-free currency. You know, the same thing with Abraham Lincoln and the greenbacks. And uh, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, kind of ironically, within the same 24-hour time frame on the same date, Uh uh, as the sinking of the Titanic, which took place over many, many hours, but Lincoln and the Titanic both were both went down within the same 24-hour time frame. 
And the Titanic, might you might think, well, what does that have to do with Abraham Lincoln and money? Well, three of the largest uh, financial oppositions to the Federal Reserve Act were on that ship. And the ship was well, manufactured and, and owned the company White Star Line by J.P. Morgan, who was the J.P. Morgan of J.P. Morgan's private estate, Jekyll Island, where the Federal Reserve Act was put together. So that can't be coincidental either. And of course, Andrew Jackson gets all this credit for being opposed to bankers. But Andrew Jackson was also kind of a scumbag, if we want to put history in context. Uh, during Jackson's presidency, it was the first time that the national debt had been, the last time the national debt had been totally paid off. Um, he went to silver as a reserve and uh, vetoed the uh, reestablishment of a national bank. And of course, he was the first president long before Kennedy, long before Lincoln, first president to have an assassin come after him and try to kill him. And reportedly the assassin's gun misfired and Jackson kind of went after the guy and re reportedly went after the guy with his cane uh, or his walking stick and gave him a couple of whacks, gave him some stick time. But that's, that's a little bit of the general history of banking uh, in America. And uh, some coincidences, every time a president does something that is in opposition to banks, they, they come after him pretty hard. First president to have an assassin try to kill him because he went after the banks. Lincoln, same thing. Kennedy, same thing. That's two Democrat presidents and a Republican president. I'll let you figure out which one was Republican. And uh, they both all three of them, but both both parties uh, did things that were in opposition to banks. And so people came after them and tried or in two cases successfully assassinated those presidents. I wonder why that is. You know, the, the issue of usury and the subject of, of, of banking. I mean, obviously, this, this goes back to biblical times when it was considered immoral and unethical and illegal in a lot of cases to charge interest, especially to the poor, particularly to Jews, which is why there's a nasty stereotype of, of Jews. You know, like you get words like jewelry, jewelry, you know, Goldstein, Silverstein. You get these really nasty, um, uh, although every stereotype is kind of based on something true, but you get these really nasty stereotypes uh, of Jews being these money-hungry, greedy people in general uh, that run all the big banks and all the big corporations, etc., and they have no issue whatsoever with harming the, the Gentile. Uh, they just have an issue with charging interest to their own people. So it's kind of a tight-knit group. And every culture has, you know, every, every race, every ethnicity, every religion has their own version of that. But that is partially where the idea of, of the, the stereotype of the Jew and the, being a money changer and greed and all that and not charging their own people interest, but charging others interest, you know, and, and when people make a commentary on that, um, it's usually motivated by bias one way or the other. Uh, I'm not making this commentary because I hate Jewish people. I'm saying this is kind of where the idea comes from jewelry, Goldstein, Silverstein, you know, money changers, not charging their own people, but charging, it didn't matter if they knew them. You just, you could not charge a Jew interest but you could charge a Gentile interest. If people get upset with me for saying that, I just tell them, 
or people get upset with you for telling them that or saying that, I just tell them you're anti-Gentile. Just tell them they're anti-Gentile. That's what I do. You're, just, you're an anti-Gentile. That's it. You're an anti-Gentile. Nevertheless, we take a look tonight at all these things so we can understand from biblical and from historical in terms of like the American Revolution, uh, what has really caused some of the greatest turmoil throughout history? And it's been banking. It's been the way in which money is distributed, money is exchanged, the value of money uh, when leaders political leaders, uh, presidents, etc., stand up and say no to the money changers. Uh, assassins come out of absolutely nowhere and try to kill them. We've seen that over and over again. Giant big boats sink, and three powerful people opposed to the Federal Reserve die on that boat. That is, again, the Titanic. A lot of fascinating history here that I think is uh, usually overlooked and it's easy to overlook because we just assume that banking, like this is just such an innate part of, of life. There's, there has to be a bank. There has to be a place to put our money. This actually goes back to the, the Knights Templar as well because they had issued uh, notes to people that were traveling to the Holy Land. So, you know, it was just a lot of, uh, a lot of thieves and a lot of uh, uh, robbers on those roads. So the Templars actually uh, formed one of the first type of banks, you know, if you ever played that game, Assassin's Creed, they kind of, there's kind of reference to that in the game between the, you know, the assassins or the Hashashans, which were more of the, the, the Muslims. And then the kind of like the Christian Jewish sect, then the Templars and all that on the other side. Uh, but, but nevertheless, again, the point is you have uh, Templars taking the money, keeping the money, protecting the money, and then they would issue these promissory notes that they could collect the money at another outpost uh, further along in their travels, so they wouldn't be robbed. And if they were, they didn't they didn't have anything to lose, really. So that's also part of this. And I'm not saying the Templars are are evil and bad. The Templar organizations were infiltrated. Uh, you know, they they were some of the first hospitals. That's why you get the Knights Hospitaller. They're some of the first hospitals. They did protect pilgrims uh, on the road to the Holy Land on their pilgrimage during the uh, d- during that period of time and they you know they also were hated by um, this is why the Templar organizations were disbanded and went to places like Portugal and Scotland uh, formed the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry actually because the the Vatican was angry uh, and so were a lot of kings uh, in Europe were angry that the Templars had all this wealth, all this power, and uh, they had all these powerful people in massive amounts of debt. And so this is what led uh, from the king of France to the, to the Vatican, led to this purge, which actually happened on Friday the 13th. A lot of the Templars got the tip off, though, and they, they left. Some of them probably came to, to the Americas. It's a well-documented history of that. Others went to Scotland, went to Portugal, uh, the Templars were masters of ocean navigation, kind of like the Phoenicians. So, you know, they they were able to escape and their their giant fleets disappeared and they kind of went underground. And, um, you know, there's a, it's, a, it's a very complicated and long history. So we don't have we don't have enough time to detail all of it tonight on the show. But I'm just giving you some some general background here, because once we understand the biblical once we understand the historical, including the, the Templar side to this, then we can look at what's happening in contemporary times. We can look at what's happening 
today in 2023, or if you're listening to this in 2024 and 2024, it'll be the same exact thing next year and the year after. We have to understand that when we look at something like money, whether that's gold and silver or it's paper or it's digital in a computer screen, that only has value as I think this is a, a um, general rule of thumb. Everybody knows it only has value because we agree that it has value. Uh, you look at some businesses now, they don't take cash anymore. They want everything digital. They don't take cash anymore. So to them, the cash really has no value. You can give them cash, try to give them cash, and they don't want it. They won't accept it. They won't take it. They want you to pay with a card. And I never understood that simply from the standpoint of when you pay with a card, all these payment processors, especially, especially at smaller businesses, they have to pay a lot of money at the end of the year. I think it's maybe it's at least once a year. Maybe it's twice a year. I don't run a business. I don't know how it works. They have to pay a lot of money in fees. Uh, some businesses don't want to take any digital payment. They will take digital payments, but they don't want to because if you take that digital payment, you're, you have to pay a percentage to the, the financial institution. So a lot of businesses want cash for that reason because they just can't afford the fees. Uh, one local business here in Tucson actually told me that... Uh, I mean, they're really kind of pushing people to pay in cash to, to come to the business because when you pay digitally, they're, I said, they think, they said they, I talked to the woman that runs it. She said that they're, they've increased the rates that they have to pay. So they're, they're paying like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket at the end of the year to pay for these, you know, these processing fees. And that really hurts a small business and they've, they keep increasing the rates. So it drives these small businesses out of business, you know, and because cash is becoming so, I mean, cash is still going to be a thing for my, you know, throughout my lifetime, but cash is such a thing that has been slowly eroded away. Uh, people's trust in it. I don't know why people would trust digital currency more, but people's trust in it. Well, it's dirty. It could spread disease or cash is dangerous. Someone could rob me, you know, as if having cash in your pocket can be stolen, like your credit card or your debit card or your bank account. Kind of ridiculous, but that's being eroded away. Our faith and trust in that, and then digital everything uh, is is taking its place, and it has been that case for a little over a decade now. And that that really hurts small businesses, especially if they don't have the really have the resources and the money. So that's where the big lenders and the big banks step in and say, "Well, we'll we'll give you the whole system." Visa did this. Visa, uh, the card company, they did this in New York to a bunch of businesses that were struggling. They come in and they say, we're going to give you this whole new system, whole new system. And then we're also going to give you $50,000 cash for your business. It's an investment. And then when those businesses activated those systems, I'm, I'm oversimplifying things here, but when those businesses activated their systems, guess what Visa got to collect? I think it was 5 to 10% on every single transaction, that now belonged to Visa. So they go to struggling businesses, they pay them off temporarily, and then they perpetually get 5 to 10% or whatever the interest is, essentially it's interest, on um, they get a piece of that action, they get a piece of that business from here on out. Most of this, in fact, almost all of it is just what we agree has value, Right. Some businesses don't like cash. Some businesses want digital. There's, there's all kinds of reasons. Uh, how we interpret it, what we see as having value, that's a big part of tonight's show. We're going to talk about 
the perception of value when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. From parahistory and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the secret teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. When we talk about banking, one of the big issues is uh, how we perceive wealth and how we perceive, well, how we perceive the the whole banking system, even credit unions. How we perceive any of anything we consider to be, uh, you know, worth uh, something, va- the value of something. How we perceive that—that's really all it is. It's perception. If we just agree one day that a dollar has no value, or specific item has no value, then it just doesn't have value. I think it's as simple as that. You think about banking and how the banking system works. I don't think any of us can really fully think about it and understand how it works. Just like Wall Street, I think that the entirety of the banking system, and I think most of Wall Street, it's designed in a way to be confusing had people that worked on Wall Street tell me that too. It's designed in a way to be confusing. It's not meant to be understood by the average person. It's meant to benefit a very small percentage of the population who are already ultra wealthy, and it allows them to control control everything. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you can't make money in the stock market. That doesn't mean you can't make money uh, through uh, in various forms of investments, and doesn't mean you don't, you can't collect uh, interest off of your deposits in a bank. 
but it does mean that you probably aren't going to uh, be able to acquire the same amount of wealth as the people who really control and run things uh, at the very tip top. But perception of value is a very, very important thing. And if we agree that money as we know it has no value, we'll, we'll just pick something else that has value and that'll be the new money. Could be bottle caps. Could be, uh, well, it could be precious metals. It could be anything. But the thing is, with digital currencies that you can't hold in your hand, I've been preaching this for 12, 13 years. Should be pretty obvious. There's a lot of danger to that. And I'm not talking about a central bank digital currency. Sure, that's part of it. I'm also talking about Bitcoin and all the other digital cryptocurrencies. I'm also talking about when you put your money in a bank and you just see digits on a computer screen. It's a very dangerous thing. Because we've seen bail-ins where banks have just wiped the slate clean and people have lost all of their money. We've seen banks, and we've seen this recently, banks just cancel out accounts. You might still get to keep your money. They'll uh, have a check for you, but they just cancel out your account because of suspicious activity. Or in the case of Kanye West, they don't like his views on things, so they prove him right and they cancel his account because of some comments he made. It's a really unstable system. It's a really unstable system, at least for the average person who lives paycheck to paycheck or has a little bit of money invested. But even if you have paper money, I have paper money, you know, that paper money devalues. I'll give you an example. I have, um, I've got about, uh, I don't want to say exactly how much I have saved. I've got a few thousand dollars saved. Okay. Uh, let's, let's say that I have $5,000 saved. Okay. And that $5,000, and this should be elementary to most of you listening, but that $5,000, you know, that could pay my rent and my bills, et cetera, for X amount of time. If I had no other income, when prices start to go up and rent goes up again, et cetera, well, if I, could, if I could squeeze, let's say, five months, let's say it was $1,000 a month to live, if I could squeeze five months out of that, I may be down to four months now. Same money. So holding on to the paper money also doesn't necessarily solve the problem. You know, it doesn't, you, you, if you're keeping the paper money and paying with paper money, it, you know, you're one less person contributing to the, the uh, slow, uh, I'd say that it's kind of like a slow drug-induced uh, coma, slipping into a slow drug-induced coma. That is the digital currency, but it still loses a lot of value, and uh, you, you you could be left with like the Great Depression, as the stories go, well barrels full of money that ha- you know to buy a loaf of bread that doesn't really have much value. So even if you have paper money, it's not necessarily a solution to. Uh, problems. I, I like paper money because I don't like anything digital. I don't like digital receipts. I don't like digital payments. I like to pay in cash and I like a paper receipt. I want to see it. Um, 
If the temperature of the planet is going to warm up a little bit because I have paper receipts, I'm okay with the temperature of the planet warming up a little bit because I have paper receipts. I want physical copies of everything. But ultimately, regardless of what your view is and how you perceive the value of anything, uh, this is what really concerns me about all this. I, I, for my birthday this year, my birthday's back in January. For my birthday this year, I went to a, a Tampa Bay Lightning hockey game up in Phoenix. I haven't been to a Tampa game like in Tampa for like two, three years now, for like two and a half, three years. So they, they were coming to Phoenix, and so I went up there to see them play the Coyotes. And uh, the game part's not important, but you go to the stadium. As a newer stadium, it's kind of, it's like a, the Arizona Coyotes have this agreement with the university there in Phoenix, so they're using the same stadium. Reportedly, they're going to build a much bigger stadium, uh, really, really big stadium. So this is a smaller stadium, very small. It's kind of like like ECHL hockey, you know, or like a college basketball arena. It's it's really small. I guess although some some of those are big too, but it's a really 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 small arena. But when you you go to pull in, I go to pull in the parking garage, and we've got, we've got cash. And they tell us no cash. We just take digital payments. So okay, well, I what if I don't have you know a, a, a card? Can't park. I did have a card, so used a card. Used a card, and they say, "Would you like a receipt?" I said, "Yes, of course I want a receipt. I absolutely want a receipt because I don't trust your little machine. I don't trust the algorithms and the and the AI. Whatever's running that machine, I don't know what's running it. I don't trust the software. I don't trust the companies behind it. I don't trust." the university. I want a receipt, obviously. So the guy says, okay, here's your receipt. And he just holds the phone out and it's, it's a QR code. And I said, that's not a receipt. He said, no, that's, that's the new receipt. I said, well, I don't want that receipt. I want a paper. I can't print a paper receipt, sir. So I have to use my credit card or debit card to pay and then not get proof of how much I was charged unless I take a screenshot or take a picture of another picture on his phone. Okay, and then I ended up parking. I didn't get the receipt. I ended up parking, and I go and stand in line. And I haven't been—I've never been to an away hockey game, hockey game. I'm used to Amelie Arena in Tampa, which is just very standard, kind of like early 2000s security and everything. It's very basic. So I go through the metal detector, and in order to get into the arena, you know they have people standing there that would normally scan you know, your phone or scan your tickets. Now they don't do that. Now you have to put your you have to have you have to have a phone. We didn't have paper tickets. They don't even give you paper tickets. You can't even pick paper tickets up at the will call. Uh, I mean, if you go through like Ticketmaster for a concert or something, I think you can do will call for paper tickets. And some, some like if you go to there's a you know a, a an AHL hockey team here in Tucson, they still do paper tickets. Most things are all digital, so our tickets were digital, and. I refused to bring my phone. I refused to participate and, uh, you know, hope uh, she had her phone and she did it for me because she know I she knows I hate it. She hates it, too. But she was my it was a birthday gift. So we go up to the door and the, and we're waiting for the guy to scan the tickets. He's like, oh, no, no, no. We, we don't scan them anymore. You have to put your phone into this device. And then the device like scans the phone and the ticket and then it lets you inside. So the, the, you can't pay in cash to park. You can't get a paper receipt. There isn't even a human to scan the phone where your tickets are because you can't get a paper ticket. You have to let this device scan your entire phone, which God knows what else it's doing. And then you get into the arena, and I, I don't drink beer, and I don't, I'm don't. i not going to eat anything at an arena because all that food's really gross. But I 
I go in there and like you, you you're looking around and uh, you look at the I always like to walk around an arena, especially it's a new one. I've never been in it. And everything is like no cash, no cash, no cash, card, 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 or get a wristband. And then we'll just put all the cost, whatever you buy on the wristband. And then we'll charge that later, uh, you know, to your credit, to your debit, or, or basically to your, to your, um, you know, your, your human credits, whatever your credits are. And I, I, I honestly, like, I, I don't, I'm not that old. Okay. I'm only 32 years old. And I've said this since I was 19. I just inherently don't trust something I can't physically touch, something I physically can't hold, uh, something I physically can't be, like be in contact with. I don't trust. It's not that the, that the teenager working at the concession stand is trying to rip me off, and I don't think that you know the person who the manages the concession stand is trying to rip me off. Uh, or the parking garage attendant, you know, it was just some 20 something year old guy who was probably making eight, $10 an hour and makes it easier for him to use his phone for everything. He doesn't have to take money or hold on to it or any of that. So it's not like, I'm not distrusting them. My distrust comes from the people that, uh, work on the software, the people that, uh, implement this and institute it. My distrust comes from the fact that I have to be told that these are safe things. I have to be told that these are, this is the way of the future. This is progress. I don't like when people tell me what I should believe. Uh, and even, even, you know, the stadium itself, the arena itself, and this was a couple months ago, we went to this game. It was back in early February, but I think it's a, an important story for tonight's broadcast. Uh, before I, we went to the game, uh, one of the last times I was in Sedona, there was a, we, we stayed in this hotel. It's actually for, for her birthday, as a matter of fact, back in December of last year, we stayed in this hotel in Sedona and uh, there was a hockey game on that night and I watched a few minutes of it and it was the Phoenix Coyotes, uh, Arizona Coyotes, and they were, they were at the new stadium. And the whole time the broadcasters were just like, this is a great stadium. This is a beautiful stadium. All the amenities here. It's so wonderful. It's so fantastic. And I remember telling Hope, I said, these people are really trying too hard. They're obvi- This is obviously a script they're reading. The stadium's probably not that good. And then we end up going to the stadium, and it wasn't that good. It was terrible. They didn't know how to host the hockey game. You know, we got yelled at like three or four times for standing on the glass. And there were other Lightning fans there. Like, did, did this woman? This woman asked us. She's like, did that? Did the, did the what? What do they call them? The ladies or the guys that bring you down uh, to your seats? Usher, like ushers. She's like, did that usher just yell at you? I was like, yeah, she told us we can't stand in front of the glass. The woman's like, do they not know how to have a have a hockey game here in Arizona? Which they don't. Nobody in Arizona knows about hockey. You can't stand on the glass. You can't stand here. You can't. It's like, gee, you don't know what a hockey game is, apparently. So we got, you know, I, there's a little conflict with this woman. But the stadium wasn't great. The stadium was pretty awful. And they spent so much money building this thing. It's just, it looks fancy, but it has no soul to it. And that, that's the problem for me is like it, it, these things can look nice. They can sound nice. Digital currency. You can't get robbed, you, you, but you can. You can get robbed. The people that are robbing you, all, all it is is a vertical consolidation of power. OK, instead of being robbed on the street at gunpoint or knife point, or instead of being robbed by your individual financial institution, which is supposed to care so much about you. Now you're just going to be robbed by one of uh, maybe 10 multinational banks. Now you're just going to be robbed by the Federal Reserve or the International Monetary Fund. 
That's all it is. They're just eliminating their competition. As far as I'm concerned, that's what this is all about. It's about preventing other people from robbing you because they want to rob you and they want all the wealth. They don't want anybody else to even get a piece of the wealth. Okay, it's like it's like a mob war or a gang war. They're just eliminating their competition. And they keep telling you. I read this article this morning. It said, or actually, excuse me, yesterday morning, Easter morning. Uh, I read this article about how uh, digital currency is safe and effective. And I thought, say, that's the, literally, they're just using the same words for digital currency that they use for, for, for vaccines. Or for that matter, I did a whole show uh, on uh, the election, uh, the midterm elections. And here in Arizona, they were telling people the elections are safe and secure. How many times are we going to hear that before we question what that even means? What those words mean? What the, how, they, how do you define those words? So let me get this straight. Vaccines, elections, digital currency, all this is safe and effective. What does that even mean? I mean, at least with the vaccine, you could say, okay, it's safe and effective. But when it comes to digital currency, what does it mean for a digital currency to maybe safe? Okay, but what to be effective? Effective at doing what? An election is safe and effective. effective. What about an election is effective? It, it seems like nothing about an election is effective. Everything is ineffective. Everything is inefficient. But you just use these words because that's, that's like where the average person is, I think. It's just basic human psychology. But my point is I don't like to be told that the stadium is nice. I'll find that out for myself based on my experience. And I'll decide if the stadium's nice. I'll decide if it's convenient. Don't tell me it's convenient to not get a paper receipt. Don't tell me it's convenient to have to pay with a card and not in cash. Don't tell me it's convenient to not have to carry around change. Personally, I like carrying around change. Don't tell me what's, what is and what is not convenient. Don't tell me what is or isn't you know nice and uh, what is or isn't a fun experience. I'll decide that for myself. This is, this is what irritates me. I don't like when people tell me that something is, or I should feel a certain way about something. Because if someone's telling me I need to feel a certain way about how that arena looks, or a certain way about how I don't have to hold on to change when I, which you, anytime you've ever paid for parking, nobody holds on to change. You, it's twenty dollars to park unless you're in Seattle. And uh, Wes from Conspirifact told me it was like fifty bucks to go to a Kraken game to park. Uh, but if you're in Tampa, it's like 10 bucks to park, 15 bucks to park, unless you park in the, like right next to the stadium, and then it's like 20 bucks. But okay, so it's 10 bucks to park. I give you a 20, you give me a 10 or two fives back. I, oh, I can't hold on to this change. Is, is, is life really that inconvenient? Is it really that inconvenient? But we got to look over, we got to look over all the details because again, I'm not, I don't like anything being, I don't really like anything digital. But also, if I have money, like physical paper money, and it's just sitting in a safe, the value changes dramatically. It goes up and it goes down. It goes up and it goes down. And it goes up and it goes down. So, I mean, I, 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 I have a hard time spending that money because like logically to me, I think, well, if I have this, this can pay rent and this can, you know, if I, if I don't make money for some reason, one month, whatever happens, at least I can pay rent or I can do this or I can I have money for food. But also, that's not very practical. So, you know, I, I spent some money on this new microphone. Um, I had bought, uh, I bought some ammunition and a new rifle last year, my first rifle, to have an investment in something. It's got a lifetime warranty. 
uh, the thing is, is, is going to last probably my, you know, my entire life. So I, it's an, it's a big investment. It's going to hold its value. Um, you know, I, little things like that. Uh, I'm also not the greatest example because I like to live pretty minimally. Um, so I, I don't always have the perspective of like having to have a house and two cars and insurance for this and for that. And maybe I want to buy a boat and then I want to have just having all this stuff. I'm just not, I'm not able to fully understand and comprehend that because that's not who I am. So I obviously like the context to be able to fully address contemporary events from that perspective, because a lot of people, you know, they, they live uh, with a lot of things and uh, their perspective of money is a lot different or they make a lot more money. So their perspective of money uh, is a lot different, but these I'm, I'm just giving you a, I'm just kind of going through a general overview of all these things. Cause I think it's, I think it's really important to understand, uh, you know, where the idea of usury comes from and why in Islam it's considered uh, unethically moral and generally speaking illegal. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of, uh, of history, however, and of religion to say that Islam or Christianity outright uh, bans or condemns usury because, you know, usury is still allowed. Um, it just depends on how you define usury. Usury is the unreasonably high rate of interest that's charged. It doesn't mean you can't charge a low rate of interest if you're if you're Christian. So if you're Christian, low rates of interest could be considered ethical and legal and moral. Or you could get around it by saying you're charging for the service rather than for holding the money or for loaning the money, etc. In Islam, it's called riba, and it's a little different. They, they even say in Islam and Sharia law, it's it's pretty unethical, immoral, and illegal to, to have any kind of usury charged, even if it's a low rate. But then if you're a Jew, it's okay to charge everybody else, but it's not okay to charge other Jews. But that's also what you had with slavery in Europe, where if you were Christian, it was totally okay to have Muslim slaves or to have uh, heathen slaves or to have um, Jewish slaves. But if you're, you know... Jewish, it's okay to have Christian slaves and Muslim slaves. It's not okay to have Jewish slaves. And it's okay if you're a Muslim to have Christian slaves and Jewish slaves, but not okay to have Muslim slaves. And it just kind of goes around like this. <laughs> Whether it's slavery in Europe or or it's the... And skin color never mattered. It was always about religion and uh, you know uh, status in society. Uh, race-based slavery was invented essentially by the Democratic Party in the 18, uh, 1828. 1820 John Calhoun era 1820s that's another separate issue if you're interested in that my book Liberty Shrugged will break it down in 700 pages of, of American history for you Liberty Shrugged the secret teachings.info so once we understand the Christian Jewish Muslim kind of that angle uh, the Knights Templar and uh, the holding of, of wealth to prevent robberies on uh, you know uh, uh, the, the paths of the pilgrims as they come to the Holy Land and providing uh, defense, uh, not just uh, physically, but also providing defense against uh, theft, against what they had that was, you know, was money or anything that they had. They could pick that money up at the next uh, outpost if they needed it. But also the uh, the idea of of the, the Federal Reserve created in 1913, uh, J.P. Morgan's private estate, Jekyll Island, and this long list of presidents from Kennedy to, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy to, Abraham Lincoln, all the way back to Andrew Jackson, three presidential, there were actually more than three presidential assassinations. Other presidents have been shot for very similar things. Uh, 
In fact, I think it was it was a, it was a Garfield. I think was shot. Uh, was he shot at like a train yard or something? Um, but he had made comments uh, about the about banks as well, and um, that's that's it's just, it's so strange that all the presidents who have made very direct statements about banks and being opposed to them in some way, in some shape, or in some form. They all happen to get assassinated. So, I mean, the, the Kennedy and Lincoln and Jackson, Jackson did not get assassinated, but an assassin tried to kill him. Uh, Garfield was, uh, he was shot, I think he was shot in the back or something. He was trying to get on a train and, some, and, a, and a gunman shot him. But uh, it was, it's been attributed to his, his uh, views on banks. And um, this is a common theme throughout history. So you find all this, and you put it together, and you start to wonder, you know, how how powerful, how powerful are uh, these banking institutions, and how uh, worldly are they? Because a lot of people feel as if you know, money changers and big banks, they have this otherworldly feel to them. Um, it's almost. I'm not saying. Bankers or aliens is what I'm saying. I'm saying has this otherworldly feel to it. And that's probably why, you know, Jesus was really upset during the Passion Week and he turned over the temple tables uh, and he said, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Uh, it's probably why Muslims uh, outlaw usury. It's probably why, uh, well, Jews say don't do that to Jewish people, but you can do it to others. But don't do it to Jewish people at the very least because uh, it's wrong. Uh, it's why Andrew Jackson, although he was uh, he he hated uh, Native Americans and he was he was a pretty hardcore racist. I mean, that's what most Democrats were uh, even today. Uh, he called them a den of vipers and thieves, channeling his inner Jesus. And slam, reportedly, as he says this, he slams his fist down on the table. I've determined to rot you out by the eternal and slams his fist down. I will rot you out. So he didn't like banks. We have Andrew Jackson that at the very least. He did not like banks, which I also think is interesting because although Andrew Jackson was a pretty big piece of trash, Andrew Jackson was one of the uh, one of the I think he was like one of the first um, he's one of the first pieces of money uh, that was discussed uh, to have him replaced with uh, uh, Harriet Tubman. Remember that? And I, I always wondered why that was. Why, why was that? Why did they want to replace Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tubman. Oh, the black lady and Obama announced this um, like 2016. It's actually in April of 2016, so it's been like seven years. But you know, I always wonder why is that. And then I and then I and then I realized it's probably because the bankers don't like Andrew Jackson. It's it's why. You know the 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 issue for Abraham Lincoln. Although he Abraham Lincoln, did, it was actually the Republican Congress, the Republican legislature that uh, freed slaves. It wasn't Abraham Lincoln issued his Emancipation Proclamation months, if not it was like months, several months, if not a year after the Republican Congress did the same. He was waiting for the opportune time to do, to do it because it was a political move, and he was a Republican, by the way. But you know Abraham Lincoln, we look at him as like freeing the slaves rather than what he did. Uh, because of the banking issues at the time and not being able to pay the soldiers. So they issued those those greenbacks. And we look at Kennedy, look at the Kennedy assassination as this conspiracy, but 
You know, we, we forget that Kennedy did something similar to, to Abraham Lincoln. And we look at Andrew Jackson as being this like very racist uh, Democrat. But a lot of, I guess, you know, the banks remember that he was a guy that did not like, uh, did not like uh, usury, did not like the banks. And he paid off the national debt. And as big of a piece of garbage as he was as a racist, and, and he was a real racist, and he was a piece of trash, uh, he understood what these banks were all about. So that's probably why they wanted to replace him on the $20 bill. That was just my, just my theory. So this is just a little bit of tonight's broadcast so far, the first hour. There's a lot more coming up in hour number two, so I hope that you stay with us. TheSecretTeachings.info is our website. You can find my books there. If you're already a subscriber, you can resubscribe to the show. Otherwise, go to Aftermath.media and subscribe. When you subscribe, when you buy a book, you support us. Also, when you listen to the show for free on any radio or podcast player, type in The Secret Teachings, Apple Podcasts, etc., we get paid when you listen and when you download the show for free, the free archive, or on our website at thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. We'll be right back after this break with more on the din of vipers and thieves. Don't go anywhere. From the occult and theology to history and the paranormal, The Secret Teachings Radio Show brings you that and more Monday through Friday on GroundZero.radio. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. If you're looking to learn more in 2023, then look no further than books from The Secret Teachings. The Technological Elixir explores UFOs, artificial intelligence, and demonic contracts in the entertainment industry. Liberty Shrugged is an illuminating and nonpartisan look into American history, focusing on natural law, slavery, and the war for independence. Food Philosophy is not a diet book, but it does help alleviate confusion over food industry propaganda with specific focus on bizarre ingredients that are put into your foods. And Occult Arcana is a compendium of esoteric wisdom, from theology and sympathetic magic to witchcraft, voodoo, and the origins of holidays. Get physical and digital copies of these books only at www.thesecretteachings.info. And remember, all physical books also come with a digital copy as well. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages my digital books and more for those of you who already have a secret teaching subscription you can still keep that subscription just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today I need it. this is david ike and you are listening to the secret teachings with ryan gable why else would you show up with that thing on your back just three days before president business is going to use the crackle to end the world president business is going to end the world but he's such a good guy and octan they make good stuff music dairy products coffee tv shows surveillance systems all history books voting machines wait a minute 
Welcome to the darkness. The Secret Teachings Radio Show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and crawl up to the fall of back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. listening to the secret teachings radio i'm ryan gable your host thank you so much for joining us this morning this afternoon tonight whenever and wherever you are listening around the world if you're listening in the free archive on our website or anywhere else you listen to radio shows or podcasts welcome and thank you because when you listen we actually get paid through those platforms otherwise if you're a subscriber to the show thank you for being a subscriber and you can renew your subscription at thesecretteachings.info or if you're a new subscriber, go over to aftermath.media. If you'd like to email the show, rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. It's not just John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln and Andrew Jackson who were targeted as both Democrats and Republicans, different breeds of Democrats, different breeds of Republicans, but Democrats and Republicans nonetheless, over a span of about 100 years, targeted by big banks, targeted by moneyed interests, who had issues with things that they had done. Don't forget about Kennedy and the silver, about Lincoln and the greenback, about Jackson and paying off the debt. And also, like Kennedy making debts payable to the government with silver and precious metals and also overriding the renewal of a national bank. And then the first assassin comes after Andrew Jackson. But it's not just Jackson, it's not just Lincoln, it's not just Kennedy. I mentioned James Garfield. James Garfield was elected president in 1881. So not too long after uh, Abraham Lincoln's assassinated within the same, uh, in the same century. And uh, James Garfield was also shot. He was assassinated. Not a lot of history for the average person who knows uh, very little about American history. Not a lot of history tells you why James Garfield was, was shot. And um, not a lot of history tells you much about James Garfield unless you, you know, take like an AP history class or something. Uh, but James Garfield had some some feelings, some uh, say some some uh, what do they call it? Some misgivings about banks. He said, "Whoever controls the volume of money in any country is the absolute master of all industry and commerce." That's an obvious statement. 
Garfield was shot at a railroad station in uh, well the same year that he was elected in 1881. So not very uh, long after he was elected, he was shot because he had some views on banking that the bankers obviously did not like. So he's trying to, reportedly, he's trying to get onto a train and he gets shot in the back. Just a few months prior to being shot, he said, quote, By experience of commercial nations in all ages, it has been found that gold and silver afford the only safe foundation for a monetary system. Congress should provide that the compulsory coinage of silver now required by law may not disturb our monetary system by driving either metal out of circulation. If possible, such an adjustment should be made that the purchasing power of every coin dollar will be exactly equal to its debt-paying power in all the markets of the world. That made the banker's skin crawl. They did not like that. And so it's very likely, just like with Andrew Jackson and Abraham Lincoln, an assassin was sent to kill James Garfield. And uh, he was shot in the back. But again, he's not the only one. Just a few years later, William McKinley, 25th president of the United States, was a very fierce opponent of central banks and their issuance of interest-bearing money backed by nothing. He was also a believer, like Garfield, at least to some extent, in a metal-based currency like silver or gold. He said, Our financial system needs some revisions. Our money is all good now, but its value must not further be threatened. It should all be put upon an enduring basis, not subject to easy attack, nor its stability to doubt or dispute. Our currency should continue under the supervision of the government. The several forms of our paper money offer, in my judgment, a constant embarrassment to the government and a safe balance in the treasury. He wanted things to be controlled by government. Uh, That statement is one of many, not by these big banks. And he says that um, he's he's in office for a few years, and he he actually um, was instrumental in getting the Gold Standard Act of 1900 passed, making gold the standard backing for all the nation's currency. Uh, So he didn't want the big banks in control. He wasn't a big fan of paper money, especially backed by nothing like Garfield was not a fan of. And uh, so he wanted things to be backed by gold. He wanted this gold standard. Uh, And that, of course, angered the bankers. And uh, William McKinley was also attacked by an assassin. I mean, do you see a you see a kind of like um, a trend or a pattern here? Just a little tiny trend, a little tiny pattern, a little bit. And uh, he was assassinated uh, in nineteen hundred and one. And I think he was killed in uh, Buffalo, New York, September 14th, 1901. And of course, the Gold Standard Act was one of the several issues leading to a run on the banks where people swarm the banks. They demand, you know, their money. And uh, since they don't have, uh, you know, the currency there, they issue an IOU and they shut down. And uh, then you had, not too long after that, because the bankers were scared, several presidents, Republican and Democrat, had issues with the, the the form of usury and the form of um, uh, of money changing. So uh, the bankers instituted a banking panic, a night banking panic of 1907. And that led to J.P. Morgan and his Federal Reserve Act on Jekyll Island. And uh, it was all one big con from the beginning. Federal Reserve Act was written by bankers, not lawmakers. It was forced through Congress by, well, one of the front men for the bankers, Senator Nelson Aldrich, 
Aldrich presented the legislation to Congress in 1910, known as the Aldrich Plan. It was originally defeated on the grounds that he was too intimately connected to banking interests, which was something the public was apparently much more aware of in the early 20th century. By 1913, the chairman of the House Banking Committee, Carter Glass, had easier success as a Democrat, and the bill was quickly passed on Christmas break when Congress had all but gone home. And of course, in order to gain support, this is what they always do. In order to gain support, Carter Glass attacked the Aldrich plan, saying the Aldrich plan created a banking monopoly. But so did Carter's plan. You notice this kind of psychology employed with virtually everything today. I mean, look at how the health and diet industry attacks things that are considered to be by some you know, healthy. They'll, they'll, they'll say like, all these other products, they have really bad stuff in them and dangerous stuff. Our products, they're, they're free of animal cruelty and they're free of, uh, of, 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 of natural flavors. They have artificial flavors, though. They're free of this. They're free of that. But they're just selling the same garbage product. It's like, you know, knockoffs of, of Gatorade or it's like knockoffs of, you know, th- this beer is healthier, this alcohol. It's all the same crap. Everywhere you look, it's the same exact scam. Aldrich could not get his plan through. Congress said, you're way too connected to the bankers. So the bankers sent another representative, chairman of the House Banking Committee, Carter Glass. And Glass, who's a Democrat, he said, the Aldrich plan is going to create a banking monopoly. We can't have that. And people said, yeah, we can't have that. Vote for it. Apparently, although they were more aware of what banks were doing, they also were still not reading the legislation. And, then, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it passed. Um. Uh, people, the Congress agreed to it. So it's it's a long history here, very, very long history here, that shows us, that teaches us the dangers of uh, this kind of consolidated moneyed power. Because even if you're the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, Democrat, Abraham Lincoln, Republican, James Garfield, William McKinley, John F. Kennedy. That's five presidents that have had issues with the banking cartels, the banking houses. And all five of them either were assassinated or assassins attempted to kill them. And and, and famously so. I mean, there were probably attempts on George Bush's life and Bill Clinton's life and Barack Obama's life. There were certainly attempts on uh, Donald Trump's life. How serious or severe, we don't know. Probably probably attempts on Joe Biden's life. Although nobody has to they push him over off stage or something. But, you know, th- these are big historical events. The first president to have an assassin come after him, etc. So this shows us that the bankers have a lot of power. And if you recall, I recall, I remember, I hope you remember, I hope you recall, that when there was all this down with the 1%, you know, F the banks, remember all that? Uh, Wall Street, what was that called? Occupy Wall Street protests. At the time, I was like, yeah, I I agree, down with the banks. But I never really agreed with that 1% thing. It always sounded suspicious to me. And then you realize like the the whole Tea Party movement of Ron Paul was co-opted by the the extremist right-wing groups. And the Occupy Wall Street movement was really just socialism, communism, light. You know, and now you look at the rhetoric of someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
who I don't know if she sounds crazier uh, when I, like I, I, I think this woman is like certifiably insane. I don't know. I don't know if she sounds crazier on social media or when she actually verbally speaks in like an interview. Every, she just seems totally nuts all the time. But like her rhetoric and same with like um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, all their rhetoric, all the socialist Democrat rhetoric is what Occupy Wall Street was. It was just a left wing, just like the Tea Party turned into a right wing political movement. It wasn't grassroots or, you know, balanced or objective. It was extremely politically motivated, just like uh, uh, just stop oil. They're literally funded by the heiress to an oil fortune, literally. And their base is in like Beverly Hills, California. (laughs) They're, They're really for, you know, they really care about the common people, really care. But you see how much power those groups have. It's all just a big mirage. It's just a, it's a big illusion. It's a, it's a scam. It's a big scam. So the big questions tonight are, why is Christianity, why is Islam, why is Judaism to some extent, why are these religions opposed to the act, to the forms of usury? Like charging unreasonably high rates of interest. In Christianity, it's okay to charge a little bit of interest, but unreasonably high rates of interest, it's immoral, it's unethical, it's illegal. In Islam, it's pretty much all usury, although some is accepted, but under Sharia law, it's pretty much all usury, even low levels of interest, it's considered immoral, unethical, and illegal. And perhaps, as some have theorized, I've also theorized, that could be, you know, during the many years, decade plus of, of, of uh the Bush family being in power and with their connections to the, you know, George Bush's grandfather, their connections to the banking houses of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. You kind of wonder why, um, wonder you could, I mean, if you, if you study the history of, uh, the, the Bush family in particular, uh, you kind of think like maybe the Bushes, uh, there was a lot of anti-Muslim rhetoric, uh, a lot of hatred for Muslims never, ever bought into that. These, Republicans are crazy. Uh, but I think a lot of that might have been geared towards precisely what we're talking about. Some of that hatred of Islam might have been because, well, kind of one of the sworn enemies of Islam is Judaism, and Jews are totally okay with charging interest if you're a if you're a non-Jew, especially especially if you're a Muslim, charge Muslims interest. And I think that might have been some of the hatred. I mean, Israel even said as a state that the US was supporting them in their wars of aggression in the, in the Middle East after 9-11. I just can't help but think that with all the backing, the Nazi backing of the Bush family and then uh, the connections to Israel uh, with 9-11, that that wasn't part of the war on terror. It was really a war on, uh, you know, certain forms of uh, Muslim belief, including usury, uh, because the ban- that's what the banks really, uh, really don't don't like when people... People don't uh, accept their their power or don't accept the um, you know the the interest uh, charging of interest, which again also goes back to the founding of the United States. One of the real causes of the American Revolution, despite what all these revisionist historians will tell you today, there were a lot of reasons and taxes, uh, repugnancy laws, attempted confiscation of firearms, assaults on colonial cities. One of the main ones though was the outlawing of interest free currency. That was one of the main causes of the American Revolution. I have a whole chapter on that in my new book, Liberty Shrugged. Uh, it's in uh, chapter 20, the real cause or causes of the American Revolution. And I take you through the kind of the whole history of it because uh, it, it's way before the 
the, uh, the just taxation. We think no taxation without representation. There's a lot of different kinds of taxes. Stamp Act um, uh, was one of them. There was uh, oh, there was like uh, there was like a tax on sugar, you know, a tax, and then there was the Currency Act. The Currency Act is really what did it. The outline of debt-free currency or debt-free money, like Franklin said, colonial script, kind of like greenbacks, uh, is one of the major uh, cause, causes of the American. Revolution. This is where the idea came from for not worth a continental, not worth a continental. Then you had like the Stamp Act and the Renewal Act, and there's just a lot of history here. And I did a tremendous amount of research for this new book, so I hope that you get a copy of it. I hope that you read it. I hope that you learn something from it. Um, I honestly don't know how I wrote I wrote the damn thing. I, I, I sat down to write a 50 page essay, and it turned into a 700 page book. So I don't know if that's spirit speaking through me or whatever. But I, the book is really really good. Took a lot of time on it. Liberty shrugged. And you can read about a lot of this in the book about the uh, the cause, real cause of the American Revolution, one of the one of the causes of the American Revolution. So, how does this all apply? Shift gears now. How does this all apply to contemporary times? Well, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, um, in the grand scheme of time, it was a couple of years ago. You remember when Wells Fargo got caught defrauding uh, their customers? Remember when Wells Fargo? got caught with all the, uh, they were creating uh, bank accounts and uh, they were uh, charging people, putting people on insurance policies for boats and cars, even though they didn't have boats or cars. Remember when Wells Fargo then said, oh, it was the, the bank managers at the individual branches. They were the ones that were ripping people off and forcing their employees to create these uh, these fraudulent fake accounts. And uh, they were the ones responsible for incentivizing, putting people you know, on these insurance policies. And, and, I, I, and I remember that the, uh, the, the, the that Wells Fargo, they took out this giant advertisement in uh, the USA Today. I have a copy of it. The USA Today. Wall Street Journal. We're talking about tens of thousands, hundred thousand dollars, probably more than a couple hundred thousand dollars. All these advertisements they took out, telling people, "We we uh, we messed up, and uh, we want to put you first from now on." <laughs> I never forget that we want to put you first from now on. I wasn't first from the beginning. I mean, I I thought that as a customer of your bank, you would put me first, but they never put you first. You know, it's just like this: the the cereal company, the granola company, Kashi. You have our organic promise. We're not going to lie to you anymore. It's like an abusive partner. I won't hit you anymore. You know, I won't cheat on you anymore. I, I promise. I'm going to put you first from now on. Why weren't you first to begin with? You know, why, why were you cheating on the person to begin with? Why, why were you abusing them to begin with? Why, why were you ripping these customers off to begin with? Because they don't care about you. They don't care about you. So Wells Fargo eventually admitted it, and they, they, they had fired like, I think it was between three and 5,000 employees. And just people, just average people like you and me, uh, moms and dads and brothers and sisters working at Wells Fargo. They got fired because they these people, I think I want you to consider this. The people that run these banks, they are so evil. They literally, from the top down, told the lowest paid workers, okay, and the people that have the least amount of power to create these fake accounts, 
to put people on insurance policies, to move money around and to do it without any permission, just totally illegal, totally immoral, totally unethical, totally corrupt. And then when they got caught doing it, they actually fired the people that they instructed to do it. And then nothing happened to the people at the top, at least initially, until it, it, I guess it was had to have been a lot of people like me who were screaming and saying, uh, that came from the top down. Because if you're saying that it's the individual employees, the, the tellers, you're saying that thousands of tellers across the United States got together and conspired to do this. I, I don't think that's the case. But it's really the, the central source of power for Wells Fargo. They're the ones that directed it. Then they took out all these big advertisements, apologizing, promising you they won't do it again. You'll be first from now on. Just like uh, Facebook did the same thing. When all the, you know the data, uh, the, the 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 data mining, all the data theft and and trading and selling, all that was exposed. And Facebook's like, we're going to put you first from now on. We're not going to spy on you as much. It's just why do why do people trust? Why seriously? Why do you trust? Think about it. Why do you trust Wells Fargo? Why do you trust Chase Bank? Why do you trust these big companies? Why do you trust these these big banks? Why why do we trust them? We just agree that. Well, we have to have banks. We just agree we, we have to have these big money changers. I mean, how are we going to buy a house? How are we going to buy a car? We have to get loans. We have to do this. We have to do that. Because we, we perceive that we need th- those things in the first place. So something steps in to fill that void and to offer you uh, a line. If you want a house, you come through us. You want a car, you come through us. We will give you the money. We'll only give you the money, though, if you can pay us back in interest, though, because we're not interested in loaning money to people if they're not going to pay us back more money. So obviously the people that are that have the ability to, to loan the money, uh, they have an incredible amount of power, and that should be really, really obvious. Uh, and this is, you know, if we go into... Uh, you go into the U.S. Constitution and you find that section on how Congress has the ability or has the authority to coin money, right, and to regulate the value thereof. You find that um, there's a lot of misunderstanding of this because Congress has the authority to do it, but Congress can also delegate it to to a to a to a national bank, which they have in the past to to the Federal Reserve, which is currently the situation and so it's not really necessarily illegal for congress to do that because they have a they have the right article one section eight clause five congress has the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof and a foreign coin and fix the standards of a standard of weight and measurements so congress can do these things even if that means allocating it to a essentially what it amounts to a third party so that's something also to keep in mind uh that Congress has the authority to do these things, but they just allocate it to these bigger institutions. So when Wells Fargo did that, okay, and they were doing it for years, uh, they eventually reached a settlement. Was this back in 2020, I think it was. They reached a settlement with federal prosecutors and the the SEC uh, for $3 billion. And how much money did they steal how much money, how much wealth did they steal? You know, how much wealth was gobbled up by the, the housing market collapse in 2008? 
that's what they do. The, the Great Depression, anytime there's there's a, a constriction of money, they call in loans and they just they go up and they just gobble up all the real resources, the things that are actually valuable, the land, the houses, the cars, the boats, the jet skis, the motorcycles. That's where the, where the real wealth is. It's not in currency that's digital or even in paper currency for that matter. Those are things we agree have value. It's in the things that we purchase with the things that we agree have value. So they pay out $3 billion, okay? Now, I don't know if you remember this, but if you type in Wells Fargo, I don't have a copy of this in front of me, but you type in Wells Fargo uh, laundered money, I think it was $37 billion uh, for drug cartels. Let's see. Yep, here it is. The Guardian uh, newspaper. How a big U.S. bank laundered billions from Mexico's drug gangs. Wait, so I want you to put this into context, okay? This is just one bank. This is Wells Fargo. And then we're going to get into some of the recent stuff. Wells Fargo literally created fake accounts. They stole people's identities. They put people on insurance policies for things they didn't even own. Multiple insurance policies for things they didn't own. Then they lied about it. Then they fired the people that they threatened to do those things. That you don't do these things, we'll fire you. Then they actually fired them anyway when they got caught doing them. Claimed it was all their fault. It was all they were involved in some conspiracy from coast to coast, just basic everyday average tellers. Then they rehired them. Then they paid out $3 billion in settlements. And this is the same bank that then lied to you about all these things, came forward and said, we never put you first. We're going to put you first now. It's the same bank that laundered billions for Mexican drug cartels. Um, I, I almost got, actually almost got the police called on me when I went to um, I had uh, I was working at a small company in Boise, Idaho, when I lived there a couple oh, more than a couple of years ago, like five years ago. Uh, I lived there for like three and a half, four years, and there was a there's a Wells Fargo there downtown. Uh, I think it's where where was that? It was like down where the it was where the hockey arena is, where the big ho- the Grove Hotel is there. And there's a big Wells Fargo there, and um, I had a check that was drawn on Wells Fargo, so I I didn't have an account, so I went there to just draw it. And uh, they wouldn't let me draw it without like, they wanted like three forms of ID or something. And I, I had, cause I had all these issues with Wells Fargo before I canceled my account out way, many, many years before that. And again, the check was drawn on them. So I went in there to, to cash it. And I brought this article with me and I said, I don't have three forms of ID. Okay. I have my driver's license and I have, I had another, I don't know what my other ID form was. It was something, um, Something else with my picture on it might have been like a, a membership somewhere I had. Oh, we need three forms of ID, and then we're also going to need like proof of residency. And I'm like, T- you never asked for that before. So I got really angry, and I was like, let me get this straight. I, I want everybody in the bank to understand this. This bank laundered hundreds of billions for for Mexican drug cartels. This bank every day does something illegal, and yet they want three forms of identification to cash a ninety five dollar check for me. So I said, actually, I, I remember telling him, I was like, I, you know what? I work for the drug cartels. Can you cash this check, please? I got kicked out of the bank, suffice to say. But you know what the manager said? The manager's like, that story about the laundering of money. That's not true, folks. That's not true. I was like, well, I've got a copy of it here if anybody wants to see it. I left before they, you know, decided, or maybe they did call the police, but I'd left before they called the police. But just th- th- these people are so evil. And think of like a low-level manager sitting there defending this disgusting bank and this, these, these, what this, these people do. So I want you to think about that, process that as we go to break and then come back. And we're going to talk about uh, banks closing people's accounts. 
uh, the, uh, the the turmoil forcing people, making them think the bigger banks are where you should put your money. It's all just another level, another layer of fraud. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, and we'll be back. Thank you, Ryan. (laughs) You're highly professional. You asked all the right questions. You weren't going to just lay down and let me just say everything I wanted to say. Uh, You challenged me a little bit, but you were respectful and you were professional about that. And I like that. This is Reverend John Polk, UFO Master Tour Guide here in Sedona, Arizona. And you're listening to The Secret Teaching by Ryan Gable. From para-history and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! you didn't already now that you know that usury is condemned in islam and partially in christianity and a little less partially in judaism you can loan money charge interest to muslims and christians but not to jews you can read all these verses in the bible uh, deuteronomy exodus leviticus etc in islam it's a much stricter definition of usury. It's called riba, and it's prohibited under Sharia law. If you go back to that time period, you also find that Jesus was really angry, right? Jesus was really angry. During the Passion Week, he goes into the temple, 
And he finds that the corrupt officials are in there exchanging money, charging interest. And he says, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The Bible doesn't institute a total ban on usury, but it does condemn taking it from the poor and also, again, from taking it uh, from Jews. That's biblical history. How about American history? In American history, you find the first assassination attempt on a president was Andrew Jackson officially, then it was Abraham Lincoln, then it was James Garfield, then William McKinley, then John F. Kennedy. A lot of assassination attempts on other presidents, but these are big ones because most of these guys died as a result of the assassin. And most of those assassins officially, officially had very strong connections, especially uh, Lincoln's assassin and Kennedy's assassin. Uh, and I'd say, I think Garfield's assassin and Jackson, I think all of them really had very strong connections to powerful banking interests, primarily in Europe. And as a matter of fact, speaking of Europe, this is where a lot of the financial power still resides. In fact, like all the financial power still resides in Europe. And um, when, you, when you think about uh, the American Revolution being caused Kind of a combination of confiscation of firearms, uh, very violent attacks on colonial cities on the coast, but but especially the outlawing of debt-free money, the colonial script. Uh, It it also played a very very major role in the uh, uh, the American Civil War, too. Uh, Otto von Bismarck, the German chancellor, explained how the war itself had been long decided by, quote, high financial powers of Europe out of fear over the true independence of the United States. Otto von Bismarck said these bankers were afraid that the United States, if they remained in one block and as one nation, would attain economic and financial independence, which would upset their financial domination over the world. And uh, Otto von Bismarck said the voice of the Rothschilds prevailed. Therefore, they sent their emissaries into the field to exploit the question of slavery and to open an abyss between the two sections of the Union. Somehow, the German chancellor understood what was happening. Somehow, the German chancellor figured it out. If you read Ralph Epperson, Ralph Epperson in The Unseen Hand points the same thing out. Jim Mars points the same thing out. I also point all of this out in my book, Liberty Shrugged, that you can get a digital or physical copy of at thesecretteachings.info. And then again, you look at those presidents, Jackson, Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, Kennedy. And what do they have in common? Not only them, but how about the sinking of the Titanic, as I mentioned? Even the sinking of the Titanic. He put all that into uh, put all that in the equation. And then you look at what's happening today and what's happened, you know, with Wells Fargo, as I call them, Wells Fargo, uh, with the bank bail-ins in Europe many years ago, 2008 collapse, all that Occupy Wall Street. 1%, down with the 1%, remember all that? And it turns out it's all just very thinly veiled political movements, anti-establishment, in that case, very extremist left-wing progressive movement. Just like the Tea Party was co-opted by the extreme right, it's all very, very politically motivated. Uh, it has nothing to do with helping the average person. It just gives you the sense that you're in control or you have power, but you don't. According to the New York Times, and this has been going on for a while, according to the New York Times, uh, fraudulent activity at banks. Now that we understand all this other stuff, final segment tonight, let's look at some contemporary events. 
Fraudulent activity at banks has been on the rise, according to the New York Times this weekend, uh, since the pandemic began. And so some banks are taking a really hard look at customer transactions. And when they think that it is necessary, they are closing their accounts. Okay. And so financial institutions, you know, banks are looking at these things, deciding if there's something suspicious. Uh, they're obliged, they're obligated to alert regulators and law enforcement through a SAP or SAR rather, excuse me, a suspicious activity report. I'm, seeking, I'm thinking like secret space program, can S, S, a special access program, secret space program, Freudian slip, excuse me, suspicious activity report if there's irregular behavior that they cannot easily explain. Okay, so if there's weird behavior, weird activity on account, uh, the bank is supposed to report it, an SAR, to law enforcement, to regulators, and um, in some cases they close the account out to prevent uh, more suspicious activity. Uh, now it's happening more and more now where banks are just doing, they're, to, to average people, they're having their banks closed. And it's not because they're Kanye West. Uh, a lot of reports lead to, to closures of banks and you, you, you get, you, usually you can get your money, but they close your account out. They just wipe the account, close it out, and that's it. Financial institutions filed 1.4 million of these SARs in 2021, according to a Bureau of the Treasury Department. 70% higher than 2014, so more and more suspicious activity on accounts. Besides the overall rise in fraudulent activity, several factors could be behind the increase in filings. More alerts from government officials tipping off banks to specific activities, increasingly sophisticated technologies to detect them, and more regulatory scrutiny. And yes, all exactly, the, all these things come into play. If you're, you know, we can say it's it, since 2014, there's been a 70 plus percent increase in the number of SARs uh, that have been filed. And uh, that is a huge percentage increase. But just like with hurricanes, they say hurricanes are more frequent. Actually, all the studies, all the evidence shows they're not more frequent. We're just investigating them. We're looking at them more carefully. So we, we start to reclassify what is a hurricane. We start to reclassify you know, the intensity of hurricanes and where those hurricanes go and how much damage they cause. And as we continue to do that, plus if you're talking about damage, you have to factor in uh, the size of uh, you know properties, the, exp- the cost of properties, where the you know where the market value of certain things are. Because if a hurricane takes out a house at a hundred thousand, that should be valued at fifty thousand, but it's you know twice the price now. Then the hurricane isn't causing more damage. It's just it's about how we perceive the cost and the value. It's a really important thing to factor in. So in fact, it's really the only thing that's important to factor in when you talk about the econo- economics of, of of a storm, for example. But it's kind of the same thing. It's because we're observing them. So. It's probably because more new technologies, different ways of observing, different ways of scrutinizing, different ways of investigating. So we see an increase in these things. But I also have to think that part of the increase is because there it's more and more, more and more and more every day. Things become digital. We become more reliant on computers, more reliant on these mysterious powers that operate behind the scenes. And we trust that they have our best interests in mind. And, uh, you know, con artists and frauds are getting really sophisticated in what they do. And this has been the case for, for decades. Uh, you know, con artists get more, uh, uh, they, they learn and they grow and they learn how to, to scam people in new ways, not just old, old people. Now it's young people as well. And uh, I think we have to remember that it's not just the, 
the con artist who's scamming you uh, in the sense of like you think of some phone bank of con artists or scammers or fraudsters from Africa or India uh, or, you know, some some people even here in, in the States domestically that are ripping people off that way. It's also the banks. It's also the people that are supposed to protect your money. They're also the ones ripping you off. Remember what happened with Wells Fargo? Remember what they did to people's accounts? Remember what they did to people's credit? Remember what they did to all that Mexican drug money? They laundered it. They washed it. Okay, they're criminals. Wells Fargo as an institution is one of the most criminal banks in the world. These people are so evil. You trust them with your money? You trust them with your with your future and with your investments, with your future? You trust them with any? I wouldn't trust those people to tell me what time it is. They'd probably charge me a fee to tell them what ta- tell me what time it is. F them. F Wells Fargo. Screw Wells Fargo. That's just one of many. So what exactly is happening here? Okay, I read this article from the Washington Post. It said, buy banks. Recent turmoil is spurring many to move their money. It says, overall, deposits estimated at $550 billion have been moved from smaller and regional banks to large banks and money market funds in the two weeks since the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failed, according to a J.P. Morgan Chase analysis. This is the Washington Post, and this is an article from March 24th, so just a few weeks ago. I'm going to read that to you again. Deposits estimated at $550 billion have moved from smaller and regional banks to larger banks and money market funds since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Okay, so people are reportedly moving their money. I say reportedly moving their money to bigger banks. They don't trust that the smaller banks are viable, uh, that they could easily fail. So I have a timeline. I want to read through this timeline of events here about the uh, the Silicon Valley Bank. So a quick little timeline of events. March 8th, Silvergate Capital, a cryptocurrency-focused bank, announced it would cease operations and liquidate its assets after a bank run forced the California lender to sell a chunk of its debt securities. Same day, Silicon Valley Bank concerned investors when it said it needed to shore up its balance sheet and raise $2 billion in capital. It was forced to sell a bond portfolio at a $1.8 billion loss because they didn't have the money. It was all fractional reserves, so they, they had to raise that capital. In a letter to customers, Greg Becker, the chief executive of Silicon Valley Bank, said the bank enjoyed the financial position to weather sustained market pressures, but he noted that customer deposits had come in lower than forecast in February. Moody's, the credit rating firm, downgraded the bank's bond rating and slashed its outlook to negative from stable March 8th. The next day, during a conference call, Mr. Becker urged venture capitalist firms, venture capital firms, to stay calm. Panic spread in social media, on social media among investors. Uh, one billionaire investor, Bill Ackman, suggested that Silicon Valley Bank could fail and would need a bailout. In a note sent to clients, a Silicon Valley Bank executive wrote that the bank was actually quite sound and it's disappointing to see so many smart investors tweet otherwise. Silicon Valley Bank's uh, announcement the day before prompted another wave of customer withdrawals and its stock plummeted 60%. Silicon Valley Bank failed after a run on deposits on March 10th. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation was named the receiver of um, uh, the re- regulators took over Silicon Valley Bank and the nation's which was the nation's 16th largest bank, uh, and the FDIC uh, was named the receiver 
a receiver, excuse me, I can't speak, the receiver of, uh, of, when, the, of when the bank collapsed. So it says it reportedly worked with financial advisors until the morning to find a buyer, and then the FDIC took over. Shock from Silicon Valley's woes reverberated through parts of the banking sector, and investors started to dump bank stocks, including those of First Republic, Signature Bank, and Western Alliance. Many of those institutions um, had catered to niche clients. You know, one of the clients of Silicon Valley Bank, Governor Newscum of California. And then he wanted the bailout money. Remember that? Did you read about that? Newsom was one of the major investors in Silicon Valley Bank, and he, using his authority as governor, tried to get the bailout money for himself. He is an absolute piece of demonic garbage. That is one of the most evil people in the United States right now, Governor Newsom of California. He is a devil who's not even in disguise. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen reassured investors that the banking system was resilient very resilient, as long as you continue to artificially prop it up. Then Signature Bank, this is uh, March 10th. Signature Bank, a 24-year-old New York-based institution that lent largely to real estate companies and law firms, saw a torrent of deposits leaving its coffers. The next day, uh, this was March, actually two days later, March 12th, to prevent the spread of banking contagion, they use that word in the New York Times, regulators seized Signature Bank. So to prevent the spread of the banking contagion, regulators seized the bank. The Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, and the FDIC then announced the same day that depositors will have access to all of their money starting Monday, March 13th, the next day. And the no losses from either bank's failure will be borne by the taxpayer. Same day, the FDIC invoked a systemic risk exception, which allows the government to pay back uninsured depositors to prevent dire consequences for the economy or financial instability. March 13th, Joe Biden said the U.S. banking system was safe and insisted taxpayers would not pay for any bailouts. Don't worry about it, he said. Regional bank stocks then plunged. First Republic Bank took one of the worst beatings, dropping 60%. And then HSBC said it would buy Silicon Valley Bank's British subsidiary. Uh, March 14th, bank stocks recovered some of their losses and the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission reportedly opened investigations into the, into the collapse of the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And then it just keeps tumbling on and on. Shares of credit Suez tumbled 24% to a record low. Uh, on Wall Street, the S&P was down 0.6% at the close of trading on March 15th, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So I don't want to bore you with the rest of that. But that's just a general overview of what has happened with those banks. So now they're saying, this is the Washington Post, as a result of all that, a lot of people have moved their, their money from smaller regional banks to large banks, really large banks across the country. Millions of Americans are making similar calculations. And this is referencing um, a financial advisor quoted in the Washington Post. Americans are making calculations, trying to figure out how to best allocate their money following the implosion of two U.S. banks and the emergency takeover of European banking giant Credit Suisse, or Swiss, how is, how is it, Suisse, last weekend, which set off fears of a global financial crisis. So Americans are moving their money, and they want to put it in bigger banks. To me, this kind of sounds, once again, super suspicious. Just like Occupy Wall Street. Okay, just like uh, the Tea Party movement. These movements sound suspicious to me. They're not about being opposed to the, the power structure uh, in high finance or in government. 
They're about coddling the people and giving them a fake steering wheel so they think that they're in control. I don't know if you remember this, but remember, remember when the, the Occupy Wall Street people were like, we got all this money, all these donations, and the best thing to do with it is put it into a bank to keep it safe. It's like, agent provocateur much? Like, are, are these people serious? I don't know if you remember that. They, there was a story about how they had, they had gotten so much money in donations and the best way to keep it safe was to put it in SunTrust was the bank they put it into. We'll put it, we'll put it into Sun. You literally they were they were protesting outside of the SunTrust and they just deposited the money into the SunTrust. Clearly, there's a disconnection of something there. Okay, and that was so so many years ago now. And now we have people that are apparently afraid. I mean, but but here's the thing: does the average person even know what fractional reserve banking is? Does the average person even know how much money is in their own bank account right now? I bet you you don't. I bet you you don't even know how much money is in your bank account right now. I'm not talking down to the cent. I'm talking about within within a $100 mark, a $100 range. I bet you don't even know how much money is in your bank account right now. I check mine every day, the credit union I have, because I move money through it and I pull it out. I bet the average person doesn't even know how much money is in their, in their bank or their credit union. Okay, That doesn't mean you're stupid. That just means you're just like everybody else. But it also means that if you don't know what's in your own bank account, which the average person doesn't, okay, probably even how much is in your own wallet, how much your bills are going to be this month if you don't budget things out, then you have probably no awareness, no concern, no realization whatsoever for what, what Silicon Valley Bank even was. Well, it says bank. Is it a bank? You don't know what, who knew, who knew what Silicon Valley Bank was? Did you know who, what, that that was a bank? Unless you're in finance or you study economics or you're an investor, nobody knows what these, I've never heard of Silicon Valley Bank. I didn't know what it was. So my point is, you didn't know what that bank was, right? And, and if you didn't know what that bank was, you know, you never heard of it or you don't know, you probably didn't know what Signature Bank was, okay? So my point is, you probably know what those didn't know what those banks were, never heard of them before. And if you had, you don't know anything about them. You probably don't know how much money's in your bank account right now. I fall into all these categories, by the way. Um, I, I actually do know what's in my bank account because I, I check it sometimes two or three times a day. I make sure it's, you know, I'm very, I'm on top of it. But if you don't know those things, then I highly doubt that you're one of the millions of Americans, the Washington Post said, is is making detailed calculations and trying to figure out where to allocate their money. And they want to put it in, this is a quote, large banks. Once again, it's the Washington Post it's Amazon, it's the billionaires that finance and fund the Occupy Wall Street movement. It's the billionaires and the big oil companies that finance, get rid of oil. I know that's hard to understand and hard to believe, but it's the big oil companies that are financing this because it's controlled opposition. It gives you something to do. Keep your hands and your mind busy so you don't mess with what the adults are doing. You don't interfere with what the adults are doing so they can keep going to the bank, as George Carlin said. It's a scam. So, I'm supposed to believe millions of Americans are investing their money in large banks now because they don't trust small banks when it should be the opposite. You should put more of your money in the credit unions, in the small localized regional credit unions, not in the big banks, not in the big banks. But they tell you, and this is this is what I think happens. People read the Washington Post, if people read the Washington Post, but people read the Washington Post, they hear this from Financial advisors that read the Washington Post, they, you know, the, the, the economic advisors, the Wall Street people, the, the TV shows, the, uh, and by TV shows, I mean like the media in general. 
oh, I should, honey, we should probably take our money out. You hear that bank collapse? That's pretty dangerous. We should put our money in a big bank that's really stable and that that, that won't happen to because they're too big to fail because we haven't heard that before. When really you should be doing the opposite. Stop listening to what the Washington Post tells you to do. Stop listening to what you know CNBC tells you to do. I get so tired of all of this crap. I don't know why other people can't see this crap. I do understand that the average listener right now has probably a lot more money than I have. You make a lot more money than I make. You have a lot of investments maybe. You probably own property. You own a house. You own car. I don't own any of that crap. So I, I just I don't want anything to do with that for the most part. But So I understand that. But at the same time, I don't know how anybody can trust Wells Fargo. I don't know how anybody can trust that, that even the regulators... You know, it's just like with insurance companies and Obamacare. Insurance companies wrote Obamacare. How can you trust government officials or the insurance company or the bank? How do you trust these? I don't know how, how people trust these people. It's just like all the crazy left-wing lunatics who they hated banks, right? And they were Occupy Wall Street socialist Democrats. And they hated big corporations and Monsanto spraying chemicals and genetically modifying things. And now they're like, we need genetically modified foods to fight the climate change that's occurring. We need the chemicals to fight the climate change that's occurring. We need to feed the poor people. These are also the same people that are like, we hate banks, down with the banks. And then within a generation or less, they're like, we actually like the banks. The banks are there to help us and they're going to have a digital currency. It's going to make it much easier for me to pay for things and it's going to make it easier for me to track things. Anybody else suspicious of how quickly the public turned to believing that? So that's what they want you to believe. All the money is going to go into the big banks and it'll be safe. Yeah, and, and until you realize that they've rigged part of that system to fail so that you lose faith in the big banks as well, and then you eventually probably won't be in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years but eventually you will accept when there's a major financial crisis globally, they just they keep priming the pump. They keep priming the pedal. They keep just pushing a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit until there is a major financial situation. Just like all those, there's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a pandemic, pandemic. We're gonna, we're gonna, for years, they told us countries aren't prepared for pandemics. Countries aren't prepared. And then we have a big pandemic. And we learn how much of that is completely fabricated by numbers and media just trying to keep you afraid and scared. So you go buy the big corporations' uh, uh, narratives and you buy the media narrative and you just do what you're told. You listen to government. You listen to corporations. You do what the pharmaceutical companies tell you to do. One big con. And then they do the same thing with banking. You really think all the attacks on food, all the attacks on, uh, on energy, all the infrastructure that seems to be perceptually collapsing, the banks, that you think all that's accidental? I mean, stuff happens all the time. All the media has to do is, is create the perception that it's worse or that it's new when it's not. But then things can also crumble and fall apart artificially to drive you into accepting the next stage of the globalization agenda. And, uh, you know, keeping your money in paper isn't going to really solve the problem, folks. Okay? There's a lot, uh, a lot of things, a lot of issues. I mean... I think Europe probably is experiencing the brunt force uh, of the Great Reset and uh, the brunt force of um, you know the, the economic issues and the energy costs. And as Americans, we find it pretty hard to, to process that things are that bad there uh, in Europe uh, and in other parts of the world because we still have it so good here. But, the, the, but, but this system will eventually, 
It's just it, it's being used to, to vertically consolidate and integrate power. That's the way you can look at all this. I, I just can't I can't imagine that we like why anybody would trust those big banks. Well, I'm going to take my money out of the small banks and put it in the big banks. Small banks could fail. Actually, it, the, 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 it'll be the big banks that fail because it'll be rigged to do that. So you lose things and then you have to say, well, we have no other solution. I'll take the vaccine. I mean, the digital currency, exclusively digital currency where you can't use anything else. Little credits that you get for doing good things and they take away for doing bad things. Good things could be going to a Joe Biden rally and clapping. Bad things could be going to a Joe Biden rally, but not standing in the designated circle six feet apart from other, other human beings. You notice they call it the same thing. They call it in the New York Times a contagion. It's a contagion. They got everybody's mind primed for that word. Oh, it's a banking contagion. If it's a banking contagion, we could all get sick. All these other banks could be infested with, we need a vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Where's the vaccine? It's a digital currency. You think cryptocurrency, I, I don't care what anybody tells me. I know I have a lot of listeners that completely disagree with me. I'm not telling you this because I've, because I've got insiders. I'm telling you this because I've got intuition. My intuition is all that. I remember when cryptocurrency stuff started coming out, I told people that is, that is run by the big banks. And it turns out that a lot of that original cryptocurrency, I think it was like 2013, it turns out JP Morgan was behind a lot of that. The same JP Morgan behind the Federal Reserve Act to trick our Congress into accepting this centralized federal banking authority and power that presidents like Andrew Jackson had prevented from being renewed as, as a power. And uh, I, I, I just, I so strongly feel all this, uh, you might make a million dollars with cryptocurrency. Great. Can I have a hundred thousand? Uh, but the, the thing is, it's all imaginary. I mean, everything is really imaginary. It's how we, we value things, how we perceive it, but it's, it, 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 you, it might as well be digits, you know, that are attached to your, to your, your retina or your handprint. It, it's not real. Look at the way the value can increase because Elon Musk puts like a dog coin or whatever it was on Twitter's logo for, for a couple of days and the, and the, and the value goes up and it could easily as just as easily go down. And the same thing can happen to paper money. So you got to invest in things that are worth something that, that have value, but don't trust the big banks. Don't throw your money from the small bank to the big bank. And remember, Christianity generally says usury is a bad thing. Jews say it's a good thing as long as you're not charging Jews. And Muslims say it's, you know, it's completely unethical, immoral, and wrong. Remember all those presidents, they got shot. Andrew Jackson, he didn't get shot. He almost got shot. The gun misfired. Abraham Lincoln, right in the head. James Garfield, right in the back. William McKinney, John F. Kennedy, the sinking of the Titanic. What do they all have in common? some direct connection to international bankers. The American Revolution, the outlawing of interest-free currency. How about the American Civil War? European money power. Even Otto von Bismarck said that. European money powers. That's where it's from. You are a den of vipers and thieves. I have determined to rot you out. And by the eternal, I will rot you out, says Andrew Jackson. He was also a scumbag, and he hated Indians and was an actual racist. I mean, what do you think you're going to get with... It's like a, a decade removed from the creation of the Democratic Party, which was founded to, you know, maintain racial-based slavery. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. I hope you learned a little bit of history, religious history, Templar history. The Templars also were taking money and holding it for pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land so they could, um, you know, stay safe and not get robbed. A lot of really fascinating history. You apply that to the contemporary events, and hopefully it helps you to get a better understanding 
of what is going on. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please grab a copy of one of my books at thesecretteachings.info. Renew your subscription there or get a new subscription at aftermath.media. When you subscribe, when you buy a book, and when you listen to the show for free on our archive uh, website or on a radio or podcast player, we get paid for that. And uh, it fluctuates. The numbers have been down recently, but please download the show and listen to the show the more the, the more the numbers go up, the more that we get paid, and the and the better this show can, uh, better this show does. The more uh, resources that we have. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. We will talk to you on the next broadcast. Remember what Jesus said: My temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Mm-hmm.